You are listening to Thursday Nights, Season 4, Episode 144. Sun rises on the next day as uh, as people are still essentially spelunking into the worm cave, continuing to carve out parts of the worm for supplies and uh, and hauling it all back up to the surface. Our party, our heroes, job is done when the worm stops breathing, and after the village is seems to have everything under control those that choose to are able to simply retreat back to their sleeping uh, sleeping places knowing that you have provided a great service for the town of whatever it was called I should get my notes open I got here somewhere what was it on <laughs> the tip of my tongue Elorthond Elorthond there we go and now I have yeah. my notes open where I have it anyway the hamlet of Elethond. Uh, uh, felt... Oh, go ahead. Baron uh, does reach out to Peter Hawkland and uh, just says, you know, um, uh, your farm took some damage. Will you make it till next year? He says, well, the... Uh... <laughs> He says, "With the bounty we've received from the from the corpse of this worm, we should be we should be just fine." Ah, uh, says we have right to uh, we have right to half the profit from uh, from the from the trade that will partake with this. We should be able to keep our family uh, uh, well fed throughout the year, and perhaps some to come. Oh, very good then. Well, well, we can help. Can't thank you enough for killing it and killing it on our property. Does that make a difference? Well, that's how we get the right to the to the Oh right, that makes the wor- sense. The worm body is what I mean. Uh, Although the tail of it is on the neighbor's property. Already procedures established for this sort of thing? Do you get these sort of things often in this town? Oh no. Like Some- do, do, do people look experienced with worm harvesting? No. No, uh, actually, that that's a notable thing. At first, when like Polynesian, oh, we caught the whale. The whole village comes out to harvest this thing or whatever. By the time the sun rises the next morning, that's what it looks like. Like this is a, it's a resourceful town, right? A town this small, they've got to, they got to be willing to, they got to be willing to band together to help out for the good of the town. When it's this small, it's a, it's a, it's a tight community. So the cooperation is there, but the how best to harvest definitely a lot of warm material was lost in the, uh, in the first hours of, you know, kind of learning how to, how to tear this thing apart without doing damage to, you know, the, the bits that they're trying to extract. And so it takes them, takes them some time, but they become experts by the morning. 
Uh, are there any particularly valuable parts on a worm that could be used as a material for Mock's thing? Baron is just trying to see if there's anything useful in this uh, beast that could be helpful in that regard. Like, are there giant worm pearls or worm fangs? Give me a nature check. All right. <laughs> Pearl. Ooh, pretty good roll. Worm poo is known as casting. Baron is All not a... Uh, is casting. I was hoping an actual, like, pearl-like thing, not just poo. <laughs> well, poo's pearls. A, 12, a 12 is solid, and uh, <laughs> and so what does what does Baron make sure to snag uh, from the worm as they are uh, excavating it? Okay. Um, 12 seems more like a common knowledge kind of a thing. This is not like it's, it's deep, a thing that, that knowledge. Yeah, it's it's a thing that a you know an, an average craftsperson um could realize the value of, but also very well could not, right? It it took it took a skilled eye to notice it. You know, the more than half the people wouldn't even, have even a, a common a common yield on a very rare beast could be of, of high value. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll say this is, uh, uh, let's say there's a, everyone knows that worms have like, like a gizzard stone, like a weird thing that they eat to help them digest all the weird stuff. That's good. That they so, like so Baron that. is like, I lay claim to the gizzard stone for the work that we have done slaying this worm. And oh, of course, after- of course. Hawkland says as he as he walks Baron over to the people like digging it out and says, Gizzard stone to the cleric, gizzard stone to the cleric, cleric of Moradin, you know. I really need to hear what this gizzard stone looks like and why <laughs> perhaps what what perhaps unique properties it may have. I'm not gonna talk about the gizzard stone, it's a separate thing. The gizzard stone. The gizzard stone is of course but a but a simple stone at the point it originally enters the worm's body. And then, see, I'm passing it to the next person. I, I did the first part, which was the easy part. Uh, the acids in the worm's gizzard cracks the stone and uh, wears it down and cracks it repeatedly. And something special fills those spiderweb cracks on the stone. It is the blood of the natural prey of purple worms, which is bullets. Yes. <laughs> so it's petrified a rich bullet blood. It's petrified bullet blood that spills that fills the spiderweb cracks in the uh, in the gizzard stone. And we know that the gizzard, of course, is the is heavily contributes towards grinding down like the food consumed by, you know, a creature. And yeah, of course. I definitely about, didn't have no idea what a gizzard was. <laughs> when you're talking about grinding down bullets, which are built to grind down pretty much anything okay. else on the planet. You're talking about a material that creates quite possibly the finest sharpening whetstones. 
in in, in all of the planes. Uh, this is this is something that with such resilience and hardness and such high evolution of purpose uh, that it could take the sharpest blade and put it one more deeper in sharpness. Well, there we go. So that's what Baron brings back. Chickens eat stones to help grind up and digest things in their gizzards. They have little, little pebbles. Um, <clears throat> Grumbar... As as he uh, as when we entered the dwarven house and, and he knew that situation, Grumbar is uh, a goofy but uh, worldly tortle, and he especially knows the cultures goofy of his. <gasps> other people call him that. He does not call himself that. <laughs> Every day he looks in the mirror and says, "They think I'm a badass." Um, and <laughs> he knows his passengers of, he knows the passengers of Snowbane's gift very well. And he plucks off a good sized tooth from the, uh, from the, from the purple worm, um, and, and says, Virgil would skin us alive if we didn't bring one of these back for her collection. Is it? He stuffs into it. He's very the poisonous wise. barbed tooth. I was going to ask if it could be that one, but I don't know how big that is because these things. Well, are it's big. smaller on the graboidlings. It takes a graboidling. So if he's if he's uh, looking for not out of value, but more out of you know the right size to be kind of made into a suitable ornament, the poison buck tooth. The poison. So Grumbar is just grabbing one of those. Just one of those. Truce is going to be uh, so There is only one. <laughs> there is only um, one. <laughs> on each graboidling, and one on the big graboid he- head, and there are some villagers as a uh, grumbar goes up that say, "Well, uh, hey now, uh, we're uh, trying to uh, make sure that we understand exactly what's being taken here, and uh, you know, uh, keep, keep, keep keeping track of everything." Grumbar says, <clears throat> "I take this not for myself, but for the legendary bear jaw." Well, I was going to ask you to roll a persuasion check, but I'm just going to give that one to you as uh, the whispers. Bearjaw, the Bearjaw, the Bearjaw. You're not talking about the Bearjaw of Bearjaw Strong, are you? If you want to deny her her purple worm bucktooth, you go ahead and try. Hey, everyone, this guy knows Bearjaw from Bearjaw Strong. I'm and her best friend. More pe- more villagers <laughs> gather this around. This goofball knows Bearjaw. <laughs> Bear heads back to the shop. Massimo feels bad about burning that tree. Uh, so he, uh, in the morning... Strips down to just some trousers, huge red draconic belly hanging out over his belt. Um, and he takes out his uh, glass blowing tools, uh, which he has except for a fire, and he provides the fire. And he uh, makes some bottles of uh, a few bottles that look like a majestic tree and a few bottles that look like uh, a big purple worm um, using his own fiery breath to shape them and some metal tongs 
And then he's going to use the spell Ceremony to bless some water. Uh, And he creates four bottles of holy water, filling water from local well and then blessing it. And presents these as a gift to Peter Hawkland. May you have these the next time someone lights your shit on fire. (laughs) May these gifts from Bahamut and his humble servants uh, allow you to forgive uh, me for destroying your beautiful tree I let the fire inside take over. Can we say it was a yuzu fruit tree since we talked about yuzu fruit? Yes, today? it's a yuzu fruit. My yuzu! Yeah. <laughs> ah, what? Mr. Moz, sir. You mind if I call you Mr. Moz? I'm going to call you Mr. Moz. Mr. Moz, sir, the uh, entirely unnecessary, although very much appreciated, uh, uh, the yuzu will survive until next year. I'm, 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 I'm sure of it. We'll have a wonderful harvest next year. But in the meantime, we'll put this uh, water. Uh, he sees it's it's clear water within, but it's glowing with a silver light. Faint I see. We'll put light. this... Uh, glowing water to great use. Uh, should I, uh, what's it do? I, I, you know, I just, we're only small farm folk here, and, uh, I, I, you know, I just. Says it is holy water. Oh, my word. Use it in any religious ceremonies you have to baptize a child. Mm-hmm. Also, if there is undead, pour this on it. Well, cream my corn, count my stars, and candy my walnuts. That sounds like a wonderful gift indeed. I appreciate it, Mr. Moz. I hope to return when the tree blooms again. Well, whip my cream and pull my weeds. That would be just a delightful development. Uh, this guy's <laughs> talking too fast for Massimo. And he just kind of gives him a thumbs up. <laughs> goes back to the ship. It's not oh, vulgar. Mr. Hawkland like puts a thumbs up and like looks at his thumb and he says, think like we're I, I like that. I mean, he's got a bunch of knuckles and that thumbs up to <laughs> <Yeah>. Bahamut. <laughs> Very long fingers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the morning. Uh, a new day dawns. When does... How does Mock... So Mock has spent the evening. We went over... It was two sessions ago. We, we got a little narration from Eric about how Mock has spent the evening preparing for this her. Herculean, yes. Very good. Yes, landed it. Herculean uh, task ahead of him. And and so he spends, you know, he spends spends the evening doing that, making plans, not putting putting fire to metal yet or blade to uncut gem. Yeah. Yes, that's a thing. Um, So how is he... um, 
Is he going to sleep in the morning? Like, how is he prepared? It's now the next morning. He spent he spent the night doing this. What's Mock up to now? This is one of those things where, again, the the, the anticipation and like the precision um, and the unknown involved in this kind of creates such anticipation by Mock and such kind of focus. Yeah, sleep will not come this night. Um, you know, he's just, he's, he's simply like he has, he takes time to kind of like sit and think and step away from the forge from time to time. But between the preparation of the space itself, um, and the kind of reviewing all of the steps and the timeline, right? Like you think about, you know, making a cake, you're there. You have to do things in a certain order, but also in a certain amount of time. You think about serving a, like a, a whatever nine course dinner. You don't want like the soup to come out hot and the beer to come out, or the soup to come out cold and the beer to come out warm, right? Like there's just all these moving pieces that need to happen in a certain amount of time. And working with metal is is very similar. It's there. Is, there are aspects which he does not anticipate to be forgiving in the least, and so he's just reviewing this timeline. And he's kind of talking him through this. And just trying to kind of, just be kind of get things ready and precise. And you know, as part of this, um, they've they've brought in the anvil from the ship um, and set that up in one in one corner, uh, kind of next to the forge. And you know, Essen and Barvik have been working together uh, on on yeah an, an important piece. If you'll remember, Barvik was tasked uh, to learn all he could. About the uh, uh, storm onyxes and uh, and opals, um, and to try to seek buyers for those. Like Mox, like I need help figuring out what the hell to do with these things. And the combination of Mock working with Essen over these months and Barber working on his own. Now it's time to bring that knowledge back together and see what might be done to to process and 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 uh, and work these stones. So that is the other kind of significant thing happening in the night of preparation as, as you know, as the, the crafting awaits. And, you know, this is a process that once it starts, it needs to just go. It's it's not going to be, it's not something that you can just put on the shelf, you know, wait a while. So that that's that's how he readies himself for the return of his companions who are who are integral in what this will be. And, you know, Mach has already spoken with several um, members of, of the party on... Um, yeah, you know, on, on on tasks that he will he will require for them to create this 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 masterpiece. So the next morning, uh, where's Mock? So that's Mach what I was kind of trying to ask. Is like, is he is he ready. is he sleeping? He's getting is he... ready at the forge. He's oh. awaiting the return. Oh, he's awaiting yeah. the return from their sleeping. Or were uh, you expecting wait, people to come back at 3 a.m. to get started? After no, 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 not at all. Awaiting their return whenever they return. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, okay, I understand now. Not not the return from the Hawkland farm. Yeah, just, yeah, again, he, he is he's, he's preparing. So he has not slept, is what you're saying. That's right. He couldn't right. sleep. He couldn't sleep at all. Oh, I see. It's not about, it's not about until his preparation was done. It was like, no, it, the... It has begun last night, and yeah, it will not finish. About, like, the elves don't sleep. They go into this reverie. Like, when Mock finished his preparations, he was just basically in reverie the rest of the night. Like, 
working through the process over and over again. Couldn't turn off his brain. So as the group awakes one by one in the morning, you see that Mach has not returned from Dagger's shop. And from what he said last night, that was a that was an, an expectation. And that when you are ready, uh, that you are to head to the uh, head to the shop and see what's next. And so, after getting a a spot of breakfast, perhaps, does Mock join the group for breakfast? Certainly. Uh, and he uses that meal to share about how he will kind of proceed. This is not something that he is at all trying to do in confidence uh, or, or in, in kind of um, confidentiality. And he has already spoken to a few members of the the party about what he, he's needed. Baron and he have spoken already at length about processing Devil Iron. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the lengthy discussions about the ethical implications of even using the damn stuff. And Marcus had to like slowly over time talk him into like participating in this and like, you know, maybe Baron can be a factor in making this usable and less of kind of like a, a, a heresy. Um, and yeah, again, recent, recent conversations with Massimo and with Rob, how they might help uh, Mock to process some of these rare materials and so yeah there's there's just conversation that mock kind of lays out this plan and um you know there is just significant amounts of time where it's going to be mock and, and barbic working in in the shop together but these some key pieces of of this this process that will rely on members of the group stepping in and assisting and he just Mock's uncertain how much time this is going to take. He feels like it will take so, days. Uh, maybe say some yeah. of that in character so people have a chance to, to, to respond and converse. It's hard mm-hmm. for anyone to break in if it's not... Uh... Indeed, indeed. We, we, we definitely can. Um, and he says, he, as he sits at the table, uh, eating his breakfast, he, he, he turns to Bert and he says, As we've <clears throat> spoken about, Bert, I'll need you early in the process uh, at, the, at the inception of it. With the devil iron, that's the start. Aye, I've, uh, I got some rest and I did some thinking and, uh, prepared some spells and, uh, communed with Moradin. And I think I have an idea of what I can do to make something useful out of this material you've got. Uh, the thought is the devil iron is, well, it's a, it's a foul substance that ought not be used, but. There's a, a framework there, essentially, if you can imagine a, a, a structure that has been filled with this befoulment. But the, the structure itself is quite potent and useful, so perhaps if the, it could be cleansed and then filled with something else. So my thought is maybe I can go and... Uh, I'll go today and find a suitable place to do the work and... Uh, See if with the power of Moradin I can't cleanse this and then uh, add something of Moradin's divine grace. This is excellent, cousin. I, uh, I, I know you, you committed to doing your best for me, and I'm glad that we're here today with a path forward. Uh, I will accompany you for this, uh, for this process. I must be with these materials throughout. Uh, in, in case I, 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 I ought to adjust 
what I do in my crafting. That'll be good. More dwarves are always helpful for things like this. Indeed. Dwarves do like dwarves. I figured if we can find a good spot uh, in some good stone under the earth, if there's a cave network or something we can get by, being exposed to the sky won't help. I trust, I trust you. Does it have to be a natural cave? Or could it nope. have been a freshly burrowed out cave network? Uh, <laughs> uh, into the bedrock. Stone, uh, no, not soil. But uh, if it goes down that deep, that may be worth investigating. As Mock, as the breakfast continues, Mock turns to uh, to Rob and he says, "Rob, you've got some light fingers, I've noticed, and have uh, have the talent that I think may assist me with another task." And he tosses you the raw mithril that he pulls from the Underdark on the way to the Neothalid. What you see is an extremely like strong effort to clean this material as much as possible. But then you, your eyes turn to Mok's hardened, calloused hands. And while those are deft craftsmen's hands, they are not the fine, nimble digits of an expert rogue as yourself. Yeah. I, you're right, you're right, Mok. And I've got the fingers to prove it. And he, he takes off his gloves. And he's actually wearing another pair of gloves underneath, <laughs> but they're finger—they're fingerless gloves, and you can tell that his fingers are very well manicured, like they're very smooth, and you know there are hardly any calluses on them. Like he's just—he takes very good care of them, and you know you—you you can tell that he's like, I can feel every single part of that surface. It's uh, there isn't. Isn't a fracture or a bump or in any kind of rise in the material that will get past me. Mox smiles broadly and he says, Excellent. It's our only hope if we're to create a pure alloy of the devil iron and the mithril. Any impurity might compromise the process. And he waves to kind of uh, Dagger's workshop and he says, Any tool in there you have access to? I've spoken with Dagger Arn already. You can count on me. Then he turns to uh, to uh, Mossimo and says, "Mossimo, you've you've already paid your debt, as I see it. What with the heavy lifting we've done over these past days, uh, I hear that the Hockland Farm was no small battle, a purple worm, and you you acquitted yourself well." But that's after even helping me save my partner. But if you've the disposition to offer me more of your talents, I can't imagine any better source of heat to create this alloy than a pure dragon's breath. What say you? Might you help me to to uh, heat my forge when the time is for smelting? Mm. 
He takes some time to think about it, closing his eyes, and he sees some smoke rising from his mouth. Just a little wisp. Some... Uh, the fire of a Shardalon guided through the wisdom of Bahamut. Will I help you, Master Hawk? Yes. Mm. Well, you, you had me going better moment. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> then he turns to Grumbar and he says, and once we have that pure metal in our hands, I'll have to beat it into submission. But wouldn't be able to do so without the right rhythm. Says, Hawk. Any hard labor doesn't get done as well without a good cadence. And he points in the corner of the uh, of the inn there. <clears throat> and he says, I had to stop back at the airship on the way back from the worm. And what you see in the corner is a massive, massive drum. Clearly not for precision little beats. This is a, this is a, like a, the head of a ship with oars kind of thing to keep to keep a cadence. And you see the drum is leather, is hide stretched over a massive turtle shell. And you realize <laughs> it is not a turtle shell. Is it is a full grown turtle shell. Oh. And he points oh. at it, he says, Old Grandpa Grandbar left me his house Grandpa. when he died. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, Mach kind of <laughs> sits there a little bit like mouth agape no. and he says Grump, I don't know where you've even keeping this the whole was it underneath the I kept all my things inside it as a true right. turtle does you're, uh, you're more of a bard than I could ever hope for in this effort then he turns to Belva and he says, he kind of regards her a little bit kind of curiously. And he says, for you, lassie, I have all in mind, but I'm not yet ready to ask. Well, a pint of ale fix that. He says, and a pint of ale does arrive. Second round since, uh, Mock's been talking. The first one came very quietly as the bartender just put it all at the uh, table. The second one comes and he says, he says, this is all on the house, by the way. Uh, we're so grateful for what you've done for the town. I don't remember what my voice was last night, so it's this now. He has a head cold. I have a head cold. I'm glad to see that the children of our little town are safe now that the worm is gone. Markeep, do you know how Peter Hawkland lost only the tip of his pinky to that gargantuan beast? <laughs> the deep state. I 
I can't put it together. Uh, Peter Hawklin uh, didn't lose his pinky at all. What? <gasps> it's a ruse. He suckers you in with the lost pinky story and gets you to do whatever he wants. I think he casts a spell on your mind and controls it. This is the same Peter Hawklin from the farm. You hear a slight little, well, a little bell say? noise. Dingling! Come from the back room. He says, oh, well, one second. And runs off to the back, comes back, and brings out plates for everyone stacked up. As he puts it out, he says, some turnip pie with garden greens, some bacon cake with sharp cheese, and a glass of vodka. As he uh, uh, takes some uh, glasses, puts them down, made out of potatoes, you know, and uh, meatball pie and a glass of whiskey. And uh, puts those all down on the table as well. Quite a feast. Velvet says, takes now you uh, keep scheming. Just mm-hmm. scoots him towards her. Mm-hmm. As you were saying. The bartender too. Uh, muck. Uh, muck eats and he throws down that pipe and then looks back at him and he says, I'm not ready yet. You'll have to wait. <laughs> it better be a good one then. I'm not fond of waiting. He says, uh, I'll know. I'll know what to ask. <laughs> How is everyone else uh, preparing their bodies and minds for the day or days to come here? Masmo eats a lot of onions. <laughs> That's good fuel. Good fuel. Good Rob soaking his hands in some, uh, giving them a little bath bomb. <laughs> Do his fingerless gloves, does he have special ones that also have little finger attachments with tiny little buttons? That tiny little hooks. To button on? Yeah. The ones he's wearing now, but he so does have those gloves. He's no, in magnetic. the tavern and has, has requested a bowl <laughs> and he has taken out like... <laughs> Like bath salt, salts mineral oil, and, and mineral oils, you know. and added it to the bowl, and he's giving himself like a pedicure. I mean, a, a manicure. He's just, you know, he's loosening them up. He's, uh, you know, getting trying to get rid of some of the dead skin on them that's developing, and you know, just keeping them soft oh, yeah. and smooth. Dead skin on your fingertips totally messes oh. up your feel. Uh, how, how could you yeah. get anything done? This is del- delicate work. Exfoliate. Rob is not good at playing a uh, stringed instrument, though. It's much too painful for him. Oh. <laughs> ah. Actually, he just, just, he just sings. He's got a beautiful... Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll have to figure out what that sounds like. Grumbar finds the perfect the perfect branch to to whittle down as a nice, strong tortoiseshell drum stick. I like he uh, makes a fresh one. Yeah. As Baron said, he, he kind of goes through his usual morning routine, you know, brushes his beard, go through his kind of morning ablutions, gets himself all nice and gussied up, uh, communes with Morden with the spell commune and actually asks a question to his god. In this case, particularly about his plan and, you know, is this feasible? What he's thinking might try to work and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm going to say the answer is yes. I'm just going to say that for you. 
Uh, <laughs> what is Baron ask? What is Baron ask? I want to give the answer. Okay. Um, let's see. <laughs> we haven't done one in a while. The answer <laughs> is heretic. <laughs> you are banned from the church. Uh, Do you Baron essentially puts forth his, his plan for for spells uh, and these sort of incantations and things he's going to try and do. It basically says like you know like a, a like a like a Congress question where they give like a three minute speech with like so is that all good? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes. Simple question. Morden's like, what do you? I'm sorry. What do you think about halfway. that? <laughs> yeah. Um, Baron hears the familiar echoes of the striking of uh, hammers on anvil. The uh, the sounds of the halls of Morden itself, uh, just barely just barely reaching his ears in this moment of uh in this moment of piety and he hears morden's voice a voice that has become familiar to him uh although i would expect that perhaps baron still treats it treats it with the reverence each and every time like it was the first yeah. and and the voice of Morden says, trust in Mock. His journey, the journey that he is on requires, oh, what's the word? Guilty faith. Punctuality? I'll say trust in mock, his journey is not yet complete. He must learn more before he is to see this to see this through. That's what he says. Wife says hi. Hmm. Wife says There's drink quite more water. So trust in mock, but he has more to learn. And actually, a second thought. Yes, I recognize the uh, the apparent uh, contradiction, but that is what Morden said. That's just how gods are. Yeah, so okay. I'd be disappointed if it were clearer. It is intentionally uh, cryptic. Not I made it up on the fly, and it's cryptic because of that. <laughs> yeah, that is all I am clarifying. Good lead, this could lead yeah. quickly into conversation about religion in general, but we're not doing that. We're not doing that right now. The witches were super clear with their instructions. That's all I'm saying. Then I don't know why more Yank your chain here. Crush somebody's head in a battle. Hurry that really baby. Mean. I don't know what you mean. What do you mean, bury that baby? <laughs> There's a clearing over mean? there. Bury the baby in the snow. Bury the baby. <laughs> I. What do you think they mean by that? Like briefly bury the baby and then exhume them. I like that Baron before a big, you know, kind of important day like this. His getting ready for the day. Looks the same as any other day. Because that's Baron. Every day is he reverently pays his respects to Morden. Like he lives his life in service of Morden. So today and yesterday and a week before, they're all of the same importance in, in one way of thinking about it. Yeah. But he also, you know, perhaps different spells. 
Well, there's that. Yeah. Things. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's Again, it. routine. Yeah. It's just what is the what is the day before him likely demand? Yeah. Uh, anyone else preparing your uh, mind, body, and spirit? Belva. Belva goes up to the bar and gets the barkeep's attention. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, was the to... turnip pie uh, to your satisfaction? She she nods and she just kind of waves her hand. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Can I let you in? Would you like to try an experiment? What kind of experiment? Food. Maybe. Give me a second, though. Okay. I want to give you something. He leans in very close. He says, oh, yes, I understand. You know, a lot of people come here and trust me with a lot of very important secrets, so I am the right man for this job, whatever it is. And he leans in very close. He says, my lips are sealed. (laughs) It's like, good, I thought you might say that. Um, All those conspiracies that you've been throwing around? Uh Uh-huh, yes. They're they're all true. Oh, I... All of them. We're we're part of an organization that is checking in on all of these things and making sure that good citizens like yourself are doing all right, despite all of these incredibly nefarious machinations. His and eyes are going well. wider and wider and wider as you speak. And we're all very proud of you, Mr. Um... Uh, my, oh, Theobald. The, Theobald Dudley. Theob- Mr. Theobald. Mr. Dudley. Of course. But you need a new name for our codes. Yeah. So I'm yeah. going to yes. call you... Trout Snout. Tr- Trout Snout? Shh, don't I'm, say it so I'm sorry, loud. I'm sorry. All right, now, Trout Snout. Yes, yeah, yes. I've got yes. something for you. Okay, Trout and Snout. And she, she reaches into her, <laughs> she reaches into her pocket and she pulls out a rock. It's, it's just a rock. And she says, this special <laughs> stone will keep any prying ears out of your head. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, and she I nods very her much head know what you're talking about. I've been You'll very concerned to about it. this for quite some time. In fact, I've been trying my own solutions uh, to, to, to such a problem. Worry I figured not. an organization I such as yours would, would have developed. It's right the, here uh, if you'll just shut up. Uh, okay, okay. I mean, go ahead. He very slowly reaches the, out for the rock. You'll need to wear it on top of your head under a hat. Uh, of course, yes. And, and he reaches out for it, and she holds it back, and she says, but I can't just give it to you, you see. The magic in it requires you to give something to me, like one of your best kegs of ale. He, he, he sits up and looks around, and he says, oh, we, we've got a, 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 a fresh import from, uh, from the Far East, from Orviltar, if you'd, uh, if you'd yeah. believe it. Uh, quite a pickup. I've uh, been waiting for the right occasion to, 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 to crack it open. The work very well with that. Oh, oh, I'll have a hold out to you. Uh, I'll have a hold out to you uh, post-haste. Excellent. And remember, this is our little secret. He gives a a big, huge, obvious wink and then looks around the tavern. (laughs) He says, you can trust an old trout snout. And she hands him the rock. Says, take it with good health. He takes the rock and he looks around. And then he he pulls up a chef's hat, (laughs) which he has behind (laughs) his bartender bar. 
sticks it on his head, and puts the hat, shaft, chef hat over and pulls it down. And she sticks her hands in her pockets and whistles her way back to the table. You all hear She's, Theobald she just go, very prepared yes, now. yes, 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 ah! <laughs> and he goes into the back room and closes the door uh, pretty hard, and you just hear a voice going, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, and then he comes out very carefully and just kind of looks around and sits back in his chair. We are the facets of fake. Facets <laughs> <laughs> of fake. Well, one of them is. And within an hour, within the hour, a large keg of Orviltar. Mm. You said a keg of ale? Is what you wanted? Mm-hmm. Orviltar uh, red oh, ale brew. is uh, is brought out to, to Snowbane's gift. Nice. <laughs> and lo- loaded up. Mm. All right. I gave him the gift. No one else could give him validation <laughs> uh, anyone else no back at the blacksmith oh whoops I went to the blacksmith I didn't make you all there you go blacksmith the secluded blacksmith the secluded blacksmith mock Mock is going to attempt to create something wondrous here. There's no question uh, that Mock is is able to create uh, an absolutely stunning piece of art um, that would that would wow uh, even even the most picky of jewelry critics. But what Mach is trying to do here is not something that just wows. He's trying to do something that transcends, that transcends that which has come before. To take everything Mach has learned and understood from all this time since being in Kunjikar, where Mach's journey in this this higher level of, this higher echelon of crafting and soul forging and uh and the energies that uh the interplay between the heat and the metal and the uh and the wielder of the of the of the forge hammer and the gods themselves perhaps this is the time for mock to put this all all together all to the test mock does not want for materials he's got the the whole of both barvik and daggers workshops available to him uh He's got a couple of rare materials, which are a bit shorter, as we discussed, the devil iron, the, the star opals, or the, um, uh, you know, all the fancy things. Storm. Those, you know, those, those, those need to be careful sky. with, but for the most part, materials and even time. You got to get back, you got to get back to the, uh, to the rest of your party in a few weeks' time, but that's not currently a time pressure on this particular activity here. You got time to spare. So this really comes down to just doing it right, to putting it into play. It's not something that more time would make you do better. This is about understanding. Mock will need to, in order to put together what he has understood about the secrets behind Durgeddon's crafting, Mock is going to have to engage 
in two avenues of this is the wrong words let me say uh mock is gonna have to he's gonna have to achieve two aspects here that are both part of soul forging and one is the connections to those around him for soul forging is uh is inexorably tied to the uh to the soul energy that is shared throughout all living beings and those connections we make to those we interact with during our short time here on the surface of Toril. That's the name of the planet, which we never mention. Uh, he'll need to he'll need to bring those connections in. He'll need to not just to not just to have someone help him, but it's the it's the it's the why they're helping him. It's the how they're helping him. It's the it's the spiritual connection to them that is at play here. And the second aspect is overcoming Mock's own blockers. And what that means to Mock can only be known to Mock. For they are they are the the things that we all have that that stop us from achieving our true potential. They are the doubts. They could be doubts. They could be fears. They could be presumptions. Um, whatever they are, Mock will have to identify these and he will have to address them one way or another in order to unlock the true potential of the soul forging that he is trying to undertake. What we will do here is as roles happen, I'm going to hand the reins over to Eric for the most part um, to drive what he's doing and how and with who. As we make rolls, um, we are going to simply write them down, the results, what, uh, what, what aspect of the crafting it applies to, and write down these results. And how that all plays out will come into play when it is presented in Waterdeep. And uh, and what the results of these are. This is not a this is not a type of crafting that even mock can really appraise effectively when it's all done. This is too new to him. He'll know in his heart how he feels it went, but the true magnitude of what it is or isn't will be revealed in time. So, without further ado, here in Dagger's shop. Bodies, minds, souls prepared for the time ahead of you. How does Mach begin? And right now is when I would change the music at that exact moment. It'd be this cool, like dramatic timing of new music coming in. But I forgot to pick one, so I'm gonna have to go and like look through my list here. It's all uh, good. Would you like me to pause for music? I, I, I love a good, a good uh, musical support. Yeah, I'm looking for something. It's got to be something that's that's loopable. Yeah. Give, give the moment. Too give the wine a moment to breathe. I'm actually going to get a beer, right? You know, that Orville. Whenever the Orville Tower yeah. ale comes in in fiction, I, refresh my I start feeling like I want my side brew. So I'll be back in just 60 seconds. I kind of want suspense music that's not too dark. And a lot of the suspense music is pretty dark. Like, let's see what we got here. Oh, I'm playing multiple pieces at once. Yeah. This could work. 
This could work. I'm going to mute Sam for privacy here, if I can find him. Okay, I'm happy with this music. This is okay crafting music. You guys can hear it, right? Not yet. Yeah. I can hear it. I don't know why it loads so slowly for you, Kaylin. That's a new event for me. Usually I can hear it right away, very quickly. Are you on VPN this week? Uh oh, I am. That's that why. must be it. Yeah, it slows down the bandwidth. I'm going. You're inside the house. Your your music should start before anyone else's. I've yeah. Been your ears lately. After you kill what? VPN, you probably need to refresh the page to make it. She's inside the house. <laughs> we got something, Merrick. I think it's pretty good. Mid refresh because it's coming from inside the house. <laughs> it, it seems like whenever there's a musical change, I gotta refresh it. I probably should just change and not use Firefox. I suspect that's well, it. That's nice. It's yeah. kind of suspenseful. Yeah, I think it's, it's a little ominous and mysterious. Yeah. I but think I think it's a winner. I like it. I can't stop staring at this worm anatomy image that Kevin put in the chat. Great, I'm hearing it now. <clears throat> All right. So, when you are ready. They complete their breakfast. But as they work their way through this cornucopia of food, you see that Mock begins to sample each dish less and less. His appetite clearly waning as his focus and uh, fervor for the work ahead grows. And at a certain point, he just stands up and looks to Baron and he says, Let's get going, cousin. You're up. And he can wait no longer. And he asks Baron to accompany him to begin work on the Devil Iron immediately. Uh, we just <laughs> lost Sam. Oh, shoot. <laughs> he sat back down and I forgot to unserver mute him. That was the problem. He's trying to fix his microphone. <laughs> he choked. There you go, Sam. He choked, man. Man. There you go, Sam. I server muted you moment. when you walk away and you're talking in your house and you didn't mute yourself, we can hear your conversation. So I. Oh, is it that loud? Okay. We heard everything, Sam. My mom watched <laughs> Force Awakens and it's like, oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the next two. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You should have just said, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you think. Did you just say, you should watch Mandalorian? Just. Well, we watched Mandalorian, and she was like, oh, oh okay. Star Wars movies are pretty good. So she watched all the prequels. She just got, for the, oh, wow. got rid of the wow. three of the originals. Holy and now she's holy. going through the sequels. Oh, my she's gosh. She's a retired person. She's got, she's got nothing but time. I mean, hey, dude, <laughs> like, if you want to watch Star late. Wars, it's all Star Wars. Like, come on. Yeah, there's a lot of. Yeah, there's, there's a lot, lot of, of fun there. and smiles to be had at. Every moment through the whole thing, say what you want. Yeah, they're good. They're good moves. <laughs> what did you think about that trade barricade in the first prequel? Um, so, Eric was getting <laughs> us going, but Sam was muted, so we kind of got derailed. Let's uh, let's start Come it back on, up. Back to it. Yes, yeah, it was my uh, fault. <laughs> uh, we go. Um, and Baron actually says, "Stop for a sec." Actually, how feasible do you think it'd be to bring your anvil with us? To, to which? Bring your anvil with us to the cave. Ah. You have that thing? We work together? Put it on a sledge or something? No. Cousin, 
if, if you tell me to build a castle on the ground, I'd do it. Let's go get the anvil. Alright, get the anvil and a and a ham- a few hammers, like a half dozen hammers. It, they may not last. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there there is like just one bear just no hesitation. <laughs> There's not like Y hammers or like explain this, it's like execute mode. And mock going back to the forge, Essen and Barvik currently working with that, uh with with the anvil. Mox just like tells them like, "We'll need this for a few hours." He's like, "Can you help me? Uh, can you help me load it back on the cart?" Sure enough, they load it back up, using the same equipment that got it out to the to uh, Dagger's workshop in the first place, and off they go back to the Hawkland farm. Where where are we taking this thing? Ah, we got to go to a cave. So uh, the worm is probably heavily processed by this point, and we did have a beat on where its lair was. Yes. And uh, so we go spelunking, like good dwarves do, um, down into the worm tunnel, looking for an offshoot, a good spot in the earth where it's good, solid stone, not 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 soil. Like we're looking for the bones of the earth, not the detritus of the plants that have rotted on its face. So, uh, yeah. And, and eventually this, this we... Spelunking? I would say brings Mach back to his childhood, where uh, hmm. where a, a, a young Mach maybe went with a very, you know, kind of spry, probably young father at the time of a Baird, as they went uh, yeah. exploring tunnels and, and mines. Maybe some youth. September they got up to their own shenanigans. When they find the spot, what does it look like? Um... The spot is trying to imagine caves. Um, this is part natural cave, part the worm boring. Like the worm bore ended up going, sort of opened up in towards a, a natural cave system, um, and it's sort of not too deep because the worm doesn't go that super deep. So it's sort of like you know brushed past an already weak part in the stone, and. Uh, it's uh, not not vast, not you know big, but you know it's a it's essentially it's a small room uh, of stone under the earth of uh, you know just a natural pocket that developed over time. Yeah, not Mark. fancy, no giant pillars of whatever, nothing to go write home about. Nothing's going to be featured in some you know wonders of the underdark. Belen King magazine. <laughs> Mog breathes deep and just says. I love to be underground. It's so quiet. Helps helps a dwarf think. Aye. What do, now what do we do? Well, the thought is this. We need to get some divine energy in, and we need to get the uh, opposite of divine devil nature of it out. So... The infernal. infernal. There it is. The infernal. There we go. We need to get the infernal out. So... Uh, uh, the fun mechanic thing that I came up with is I've got a fifth level spell called Holy Weapon. It's concentration. It lasts for an hour. And uh, yeah, and then just basically I'm going to keep that on it for an hour and then I'm going to cast Remove Curse on it like six times with all the spell slots available that I have for casting Remove Curse. So uh, yeah. That's a lot of magic. It's a lot of magic. 
So my fifth and all my fourths and thirds. So you got the good stuff. Uh, so that's that's the mechanic side of this. Uh, the flavor thing is we're, we're in this cave. Um, Mox got his anvil. He's got it on there. And uh, we and Baron directs him towards a sort of dwarven chant, a hymn of the earth, if you will. Uh, and while Baron sort of intones this and uh, and holds the devil iron firmly on the anvil in place uh, with one hand, Mox stands ready with the hammer, and he's got like a half dozen hammers because. Uh, as they, as Baron, and actually Mock intones this with him, because, you know, why not? More voices never hurts. Harmony. Um, and uh, strikes on the hammer. Uh, there is a massive radiant of sparks, because the holy weapon actually makes the thing do a whole lot of damage, extra radiant damage. So it just melts the hammerhead when when Mock strikes this thing, but it also, uh, you know, also does some, some good work on there. And at the same time as the strike goes in, Baron does the curse. And we do that sort of long chanting, repeated striking, and that for about a good hour. I'd like to see... And I'd we like can to do the chant. You want to see, get that chant? You want to do that chant now? Yeah, let's do that. And here's, here's a little segment oh. of the chant. Oh, yeah? Yes. I, was gonna, I was gonna do a roll, but uh, I'm happy to hear the chant first. I mean, I'm extremely intrigued now. I can't say no to the chant. Uh, Baron... Uh, of rock and earth, of magma and cold shale, build our belief. The hammer of Moradin, a truth forged in the absence of starlight, and here amid the sediment of years in darkness covering darkness, where the eye mines for the ore of mystery, the earth lies rich with promise in the fire of days. And it just continues on like that as this is... Uh, for an hour, <laughs> for for an hour, and the, the 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 sort of hymn repeats over and over again. It's a long hymn, but yeah. I'd like to see a skill check, an ability check, as they say. I'd like you to use your spell casting ability okay. with proficiency. Okay. Sorry, there's nothing to roll a save against I think you. That's which a, I know that's is a wisdom. Um, and uh, take it with proficiency. And okay. uh, have Eric uh, throw in his uh, d20 for the uh, the assist here. And let's get the result yeah. of that for one portion of this. Okay. Um, we're going to call that a wisdom check with proficiency. So that'll be a... How do I add the with proficiency button? There, actually, I can probably just do it on this. Get checks. Wisdom... And there's probably not a good proficiency. Yeah, I don't just, know. I I'll don't just do a, I'll just do a, a skill check. To... It's the same number as my perception. Is that good? Oh, uh, yes, that would work just fine. Okay. So here's my roll. Oh, pretty nice. Oh. Yeah, I'll leave it with that, but I'll, I'll do mine just in case. Not bad either. Not bad. Natural 16 and 14 to start us off for the night. Uh, so that is a 25 which is an insanely successful role for how you want to play that out for how this goes during the crafting experience. Yeah, and it's uh it's a a very peaceful, I mean, getting back to their roots 
Baron rather enjoy. It'll be a memorable experience for Baron. He'll, he'll remember this for quite a long time. As just uh, over this hour, the infernal nature of the iron is pressed out with the divine sort of explosion with each one of Mock's hammer blows as the uh, and the celestial divine energy is pressed in. And we're finally left with a no longer devil iron. This would be more something like, I don't know, angel iron? Or maybe something in between. It really depends on exactly how much of that infernal we got out. I mean, should come up with a, a cool material word for that Mox never heard of. He's never heard of anyone try to do this. The devil iron itself is so rare and so heretical that finding reference of it is rare. Uh, it's safe to assume that this might be a new material. I mean, if we want to go from front Diablo, the offspring between devils and angels is Nephilim. I'm, I'm going to leave this ball in your court. Uh, let's let's call this, we have a nice hunk of Nephilim ore. Nephilim ore. That's what we're calling it. As throughout this process, Mock is focused in following instructions, in executing with exactness. This is the the headspace that has given him so much skill and craftsmanship, so much so much prestige. And he is in this, but as he participates in this like wonderful ritual uh, of Baron's making, uh he, he he can't help but feeling a bit hollow with it all. Like the precision and the exactness, like everything is in place. Every hammer strike rings true uh, with the timing. Like the, the hymn is, you can feel the power building. He, he can sense, he's familiar with his devil iron. He can sense the change that's happening. There's something that lacks there. But in the moment that he finally lays his hand for the first time on the Nephilim ore. A vision overcomes Mach and he is whisked away inside himself. And it is he and, and Baron once again standing in front of Mithril Hall the day they left to begin this journey to Oakhurst. Mm. The only difference from this from the, from the setting that day, as Mock, kind of half aware of what's happening, sees the same clothes that they're wearing, sees, you know, sees fewer of the battle scars that they've earned over these past months. The only difference of the setting is in the distance, there is an enormous mountain kind of towering almost beyond the horizon, but filling up that space. And he regards the mountain, mountain for a moment, and then he turns to Baron. And this is not the bairn of that day, you know, with his own kind of hopes and, and kind of insecurities. This is the bairn that was just in the cave with Mach. And bairn, Mach says to bairn, he says, Cousin, we're back at the beginning. And he, he thinks and he, he remembers what they were talking about. He remembers that they were they were talking about just risking it all for the things that they needed 
for when Mock left on this journey, he had been a soldier for 40 years looking for death. And prior to that, spent many years, you know, destitute of any hope. To leave on this journey meant for him taking a risk and, and the, the wild gambit to possibly reclaim things that he thought was lost in his life. And Baron was in that same mentality. Yeah. and gone. You know, he'd been tasked to go and do great things, but we all know now at this point in the story that, that Baron left with this wild hope to maybe reclaim his wife. And he says, he, he mocks, turns about and he says, Bern, back at the beginning, we, we were doing this for ourselves. We were taking the long shot that we might achieve our dreams. But now we are, we seem to be creatures of destiny. Has anything really changed? Should we stay the course? Should we pursue our wife? Our wealth? Or are we now creatures of destiny? And he asks his cousin this. And this is Baron in the cave or Baron in the vision? No, this is, we're in the vision. You're seeing we're everything that Mox sees. Okay. But we're this, this together. Is, yeah. Okay. This is Baron in his current state with all of the memories of everything they've done. And, and, and Mock asks for perspective from Baron, the wisest of all that he knows. Baron thinks for a moment. And we did start this journey after our own ends, our own desires, that's for certain. And while neither of us have achieved our goals as of yet, uh, we certainly have gotten closer to them. And though not in, I would expect, the way that either of us could have predicted, uh, no one knows their own fate. But I suppose it's our choice whether to try and swim against the current or swim with it or... Uh, to try and fight against what it's taken us or or to go along for the ride and uh I from what I can see I I'm not displeased with my where my fate is taking my me and uh for you cousin it seems like you've certainly grown and you've learned and experienced more than uh than you had up to this point are you happy with where your fate's taking you? Mock turns back towards the mountain as the the vision begins to fade. And Mock thinks to himself, I must embrace my destiny more. And as he says the words, the mountain in the distance begins to crumble slightly hearing the rumbling of earth move as rocks tumble down its slopes. And they find themselves once again back in the cave. Nephilim ore in hand. Ritual complete. Mock looks to Baron, but he doesn't sense any knowledge of what's happened. Yeah. Unknown if Baron does or doesn't. But Mock kind of re regains focus and he says, Thank you, cousin. I'm ready to proceed with the next phase. Ah, uh, I'll get some rest and 
rejoin you for any aid I can offer. That uh, took something out of me. But uh, memorable and quite special. Thank you for sharing that with me, cousin. Malcolm embraces Baron and, and thanks him as as kin and as as a, as a dwarf who has stood behind him, stood beside him through the worst. And then Mock goes looking for Rob. <laughs> where's where, where's Rob? Uh, Rob is over at the table. Um, he's got various sanding tools and, and you know, sto- like smoothing stones and you know flat surfaces and you know he's been kind of warm you know cracking his knuckles and keeping his hands warm but he's also got a serious you know he's laid out his uh, his picking tools because he uh you know not only is he sensitive with his fingers but he's also sensitive with various types of uh, picks and metal implements that are just meant for like you know uh Usually, you know, it being inserted into locks and feeling different, like tumblers in the in the different the variances and like you know, basically trying to figure out whatever shapes are going on in there. And he's going to use that to probe the surfaces of uh, this uh, new metal that's been created here. So, but yeah, he's kind of just hunched over the table, um, examining his work and. And anticipating the arrival of the, uh, what did we call it? The, uh, the Nephilim, the Nephilimor. I think your bit was the Mithril. Remember remembering right? Yeah. Oh, the Mithril. That's right. Yeah. There's a lot of components to this dish. I... <laughs> Mark asked him in earnest. He says, th- "Thank you, Rob, for your work. How much time till we're ready to smelt?" Uh, well, um, you know. I like to give myself as much time as possible, but I know that time is of the essence. And I, I've been under the fire before, you know, of that. I've, there have been, in my past, I've done things that I'm not proud of, where I've had to, to make entry into the homes and fortresses of others and to avail myself of their, their wealth. While I don't do that anymore, I still have the ability to uh, work quickly without losing quality. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but I'll do it as fast as I can, as well as I can. I'll prepare the forge for the smelt of the mithril. Come to me when you're ready. Aye. And he, uh, he sets back to the table and and uh, starts working the mithril. Mako is to prepare the flames to smelt the mithril, which is something that is much more well-established than any work with the Nephilim. Or he, uh, again, myth- mithril, commonly worked element, and it's M- M- Mako is simply following procedure here as he as he prepares to smelt this, this rare ore in its purest form. Uh... Yeah, um, so you, Rob's not gonna, he's not, you know, 
I mean, he's a dwarf and he has some natural affinity working with materials like this, but he isn't necessarily like an artist or a craftsperson, but you're going to get something very basic, but very highly precise. So he hands you like the cleanest edges that, you know, you've seen outside of the, uh, the crafting, the guild halls. You know, they're just very, very clean and precise, uh, smooth to the touch. And, you know, maybe there are some details that only true uh, metal and, you know, workers will notice. But um, I would say that Rob has a 99%, you know, efficiency with what he's working with. And what you do send back, that 1%, it always comes back uh, correct according to your feedback. So, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he, he he's very serious about, uh, uh, especially when he receives feedback. So, Mark, uh, yeah. I would say Mock accepts the product here and begins to smelt it down. The true test being how pure is this metal once it's now liquefied. And as he does so, it becomes a shimmering mirror of liquid mithril in the forge. I think uh, Rob's Rob. task is complete. Is it time to throw some dice? Yeah, oh, yeah. I was just... Uh, this This always comes up mm -hmm. um, with uh, sleight of hand. I want to call sleight of hand. I mean, it just really is... I know. Up, I, but we usually say that sleight of hand is... Uh, I wish there was a, a dexterity skill that was more aligned with doing but i think sleight like, of hand is it it's just it's ledge it's ledger main it's like specifically pickpocketing and planting things they like yeah. define a, a bunch of very specific activities for it which is a little frustrating well you're the dm man you can yeah they do well what you do is you, you do decide. you do proficiency you do decks with proficiency but if someone is specifically taking expertise um it can be annoying yeah, so I was, you know, just trying to just trying to look at it, but the okay. So hmm. you know what? You know, I know what it is. It's uh, give me a dexterity investigation. Dexterity. So that's investigation. It uses your investigation <laughs> uh, bonus, but it is dexterity as your ability check. Uh, okay. I'm using dexterity because you've focused this so much on. You know the the fine the hands and the, the the physicality of that part of him and the invest but the investigation is the is the kind of what's being done here. All right, let's see. Now there's not any way to do that kind of compound role in uh, Foundry easily. You could. You could also do use tool proficiency. Is another way to do these if you're proficient with a tool and you can use your proficiency oh. bonus from the tool. Uh, true, but let's just do it this way. But that's a good point that we some we have some. Can I just in Foundry do a dexterity check and then add my investigation skill to it? Uh, yes, so, that would work just fine. All right. Whoopsie, I rolled. I was trying to open up one of your stats. Oh no, we can't tell which one is mine. <laughs> 
Which one? Well, was... there's only one difference. Mine was so. the natural ten, so I'm getting rid of it. There. Okay. There. That was that was Rob's actual roll. Well, I just gave you a fourteen. Oh yeah, uh, mock oh. mock aiding. Sorry. So, uh, you got a natural nineteen on your roll, Kevin. So what oh, is yeah. your total investigation? Plus, plus ten. That would be a twenty-nine on uh, <laughs> on Rob's. It's Good all was all mithril, right? Yeah, this is a pure. Uh, mock. Uh, this is the second time today where Mock has kind of stood in awe as his jaw drops with the purity of the material in front of him. Not just the quality of the metal itself that was found from a very kind of raw and untapped resource, right? This is this mithril was so far from any civilized mine that it, that it provided a purity that you know, again, it was, is, is, would not be encountered in like a heavily worked area. And then whatever, whatever Rob did to it is kind of in Mock's mind, um, has produced like a shimmering mirror. It's, it's just like glass in way it shimmers. And as Mock looks at this molten metal, he feels himself drawn deeper into the image. And another vision comes over him. He finds himself sitting at a table in the Rusty Python of all places, back in Miravar, with his good friend Oil Vane. And they're <laughs> laughing, they're throwing daggers at the wall, having a good time. Oh, and man. all of a sudden, Mach realizes, like, like a dream that all of a sudden you're in and you didn't realize, all of a sudden Mach realizes he's in this place. He looks out the window and sees looming the distance the same mighty mountain that was witnessed earlier in the vision with Bairn. And then all of a sudden he becomes a little more somber and he turns to Wilbur and he says, eh, I remember when y'all dragged my drunken ass out of here. Who knows where I'd be now if it wasn't for years threw me in the drunk take another night like so many nights before that o oil vein tell me Lado you're young but have wisdom in ways that I that I lack why are why are best friends so damn important <laughs> that's a really good question <laughs> Mark that's a really good question you know, uh, there was a time when I was by myself for, you know, after I left the Underdark and, you know, I found it, there was a necessity to having friends, you know, part of it was being afraid of being alone, uh, the idea of just dying alone in a faraway place, far from where you came from. But then I realized if you want to have a get anything done in life you can't do it alone you need friends and who better friends than your best friends you know if you're going to choose people to travel along with in your life 
you better make them make sure that they're top-notch people, that they're the best, and that people you can count on, people that you would actually want to spend time with and have fun with because you care about them and you want to do your best. I think that's what it means to have a best friend, to have many best friends. And Mock, you're not alone, are you? You got this whole group with us, facets of fate. So we always got your back. We'll always pull you out of that drunk tank whenever you need us. And as Mock goes to respond, the, the vision begins to fade and he looks once again towards the mountain and, and he says to himself, he says, huh. I'm not alone. Uh, I have, I have best friends. And I, I ought to care for them better. And more rumbling as earth shakes down the mountains and large boulders come loose. A kind of strange blue, a, a strange greenish light begins to kind of come from beneath the earth as it moves. And the vision shakes. And he's back there staring into that mirror of pristine mithril. And he turns to Rob and gives him, you know, that sweet ass barbarian handshake, right? Where you grab their forearms, not their hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he gives Rob one of those heartily and brings him in. And he says, Rob, my, my deepest thanks. I had no, I had, you, you, you exceeded my greatest hopes for, for the metal. I thank you. He says, on your way out, would you mind sending an old moss? Mock, uh, I just want to say that it's always a pleasure to fucking use these hands for good. And I feel like that's what I'm doing today. He nods his head and he walks out and he grabs moss. I love the repentant, yes. the repentant thief trope so much. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants a second chance, man. He just, he just wants to use these hands for good. These beautiful hands. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> hands. I thought these were strong hands. <laughs> <laughs> My mitts. Useless. These were the keys, the only keys I ever needed. <laughs> Is that thing supposed to pop up for us? I just I just popped up a thing. I see. I've, we never tried using yeah, any of the journal entries before. That's oh, how sweet. I'm tracking. Yeah. Yeah. I like I that. Thanks. So it'll be stored Moss, in uh, foundry. Stands waiting, waiting for Massimo's arrival as he as he begins readying for this next important step in the process. It takes a while. Uh, Massimo gets a little distracted on the way there, talking with some people, looking at some some things, and eventually he. Hi, Mossy. Hurry up. Eventually, you hear him say, All right, Grumbar, we'll have to finish this conversation later. Dan, are you talking? I cannot hear you. Don't cut me off. I was in the (laughs) middle of an idea. Last comment. Go ahead. After a little more talking. Massimo squeezes into this place is made for a dwarf, but he is like three dwarves, uh, a couple stacked and on a trench coat. one, one around the belly. Uh, and he says, forgive my tardiness, Master Hawk. 
Mark says, uh, not at all. You and I have a bit of uh, a code to crack here. See, uh, see, Moss, me cousin, Bern, he just created this brand new metal that the world's probably never seen. And I simply don't know how to melt it. Ah! And then he says, I need your help, Moss. If there's a reason why we bumped into each other in Silvery Moon, probably less about you saving my arse in the, on the battlefront and more about liquefying this beautiful gem right here. He says, he looks down at the material that's already liquid in the, in the forge there and you see next to it a beautiful mold that's already been kind of crafted by Mock on his time. It clearly kind of like the outline of the, the general rough shape of this crown will, will uh, this mold will receive the molten alloy. But we're still not there, not even close. It says, uh, man, the forge there, Moss, I'll need some heat. Fire. And, and, and he's, he says, guide, guide us here. I'll follow your lead. Says my fire comes from my blood and my bloodline that leads back to a Shardalon, the great red dragon that once terrorized the Sword Coast, the masters of the Silver Citadel where I trained called my bloodline heretical, a corruption of my soul. But I know that Bahamut is the prince of all dragons. And a Shardalan's fire is in my heart. It is my strength, it is my bond. I shall grant you his fire, Mock. And he sits down cross-legged and closes his eyes and starts to meditate. What he's going to do, he's going to commune with his gods. But what Mock sees is his scales. He's got those red scales with uh, little bits of green and bronze throughout. Uh, and it just he just starts to glow like a forge being lit and the scales themselves start to glow with this fire and he can just feel this heat coming off of him and smoke starts rising through his nostrils and his mouth as his eyes are closed and he's just perfectly still just glowing hotter and hotter and what he sees is he's back on the slope of that volcano in his mind where he often pictures himself balanced between Bahamut and a Shardalon and he sees the two great dragons, one silver flying around, one red flying around. But this time he looks towards the Shardalon, doesn't even say anything. And this massive red dragon, a Shardalon, lands in front of him, <clears throat> causing the whole volcano to shake. And he just reaches up a hand and puts it on a Shardalon's snout, drawing heat from him. Hmm. And suddenly... Massimo's eyes open and they are literally a flame, just flame shooting out of his eyes and his nose and his mouth. And he takes the deepest breath and just channels a blast of hot, 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 hot fire into 
whatever forge or implement Mach needed. Yeah, you're, yeah. You, we basically have the Nephilim ore in a pool of already molten mithril, with the Nephilim ore not budging uh, under the conditions that would that, that are even able to melt mithril. And this gout of flame hits the both, boiling, beginning to boil, uh, or, or sorry, not boil, you know, superheat the, the, the mithril and begin to hopefully wear down the strength of this Nephilim ore. So Greg, Mosmos, yes. both Paladin and a Sorcerer with a, a Draconic bloodline. So uh, this this might be more magical on the side of things yeah. than anything else. Uh, I agree. And it's why I'd like to see um, an athletics charisma mm. check. I, I think charisma is your spellcasting and, and divine yep. divine thing, right? So the charisma charisma is representing your it's your main ability. This is mainly a you know a divine channeling of energy, yeah. but it's athletics because this is about um, the, the the real the one of the big challenges Massimo has to overcome here is handling that amount of heat. Sure, he's resistant to fire, being a, being a uh, dragonborn with red dragon ancestry, but uh but this is more than he's ever than he's ever channeled in uh in this way and and fire still burns cool uh it's gonna Does be the same strength? whether i use strength or charisma so i'm just gonna roll a normal athletics oh, then you can just roll normal athletics yep here we go what? Oh, my PC is running low on battery because I forgot to plug it back in. No, Massimo, don't run low on battery. Bahamut is not Need the fires of a This is exactly what the athletics check is Grab for. Dragon snap channel. Uh, the here we go. Seven. Ooh, Ooh I like this. How about a assist from. Oh, a nice assist from Mock there. Mock brought it up to 14. Four- oh, I feel like you've gotten 14 every time. Uh, that. That's he because has, he yeah. has gotten 14 <laughs> on his assist roll every time. Weird. So Massimo's fire okay. is coming out, like, not in a controlled manner, and Mach is able to guide it to where it needs to go. Massimo does provide the heat, but Mach helps guide. So, so uh, that's going to be a 14 plus 7. Uh, it's going to be a total of 21. 21. That is also a uh, great success. As Mach kind of, you know, bastes and sautés this ore, Nephilim ore, in this superheated mithril, like channeling David Chang here, as, as like this kind of, this really like culinary aspect of kind of like weaving these metals and here uh, definitely techniques gleaned from Durgeddon. You have like Durgeddon's journal there set up. It's almost as if like Moss is like sight reading music at the piano as he's conducting just like very specific movements in the metal, um, even adding in some, some additional components like in his heart, kind of like uh, like holding some doubt that he might taint the materials, but trusting the path that Durgeddon has laid for him as he works. And uh, he reaches a point where an alloy is achieved and the very bright kind of like 
silvery whitish material like color of the mithril combined with Sam, what color is the Nephilim or? What color was the double iron? I've always just Greg. assumed it was black. <laughs> like, uh, you know. Like, like I think dark black with kind of like... Gunmetal gray. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, we'll say like... I, I like the reddish flecks in there. Gotta make it a little something in there. Um, the black is... We'll say... Oh, let's see. Oh, we gotta make this interesting. Can't just say, well, now it's, you know, silvery. So that just looks like metal. So, uh, I like let's see here. What, what was yours? Uh, you know that gunmetal gray, that like super dark gray that. Gunmetal. It's almost more of usually it in describes the, in more the right of a, light of a finish than a specific metal. But I actually like that Ooh. for it that it like yeah it holds that, that gunmetal finish. Stuff now that's can you can you link out. a quick picture there? It's just a bunch of cool stuff. It. I, I'm looking at this. This may be dumb, but like, oh, I like the look of that. That's nice. Yeah, just a piece. No, that's quite good. Yeah, it's kind of like it's like if you took halfway between chrome and just black. It's like you just you just yeah. darken it. Yeah. So it's chrome-ish, yeah. but it's got a very striking uh, darkness to the color. Yeah, I like it. Dig it. And the as the as these ores as these metals combine into an alloy you get something with the consistency of mithril but a much darker shade with even like if you guys have ever seen like those two-tone cars where like the light will strike it and kind of provide a secondary Ooh. tone you get that effect in a bluish way where yeah, this dark metal has kind of like a blue glare to it and it's just this beautiful this gorgeous material and mock is just like wetting his pants with like having this 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 stuff but again he remains focused and carefully just solutions this ore into the uh the mold that's been prepared with the rough outline of this crown the crown again to uh to remind you fashioned based on the crest of Waterdeep a mountain range with several peaks and a, and a moon crest in the middle. And Mach kind of takes a breath, takes a rest after, after kind of bring, bringing the ore to the, uh, to the mold. But he must press on. And while the, 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 the metal is still hot, he knows it's time to go to work and employ his craft as he never has before. And he says, he embraces Massimo, thinking of this new metal that he's never that that has that has never existed on the on the earth. He thanks Massimo for his uh, for his role, and he says, uh, "Moss, if ever there was a well, there were a debt repaid, let it be this one. Let it be yours." And. Uh, the next time you see your family in this life or the next, you tell them that Merrick Forhammer thanks them for the son that they sent to me. That will make them very happy. And he stands up slowly towering over Mach and pats him on the shoulder. Says, I wish you luck. 
munches on an onion, walks out. And so Mock turns back to this crown. And he flips it, he brings it out of the mold for the first time regarding it in all of its newness. When once again, the vision takes him. And he finds himself standing in a reliquary. <laughs> Which reliquary is he in? Oh, this is when he's going to meet Bearjaw. <laughs> yeah. Known yeah, for her is. love of reliquaries. Yeah, she's changed a lot. Standing in the reliquary, her eyes she finally clear. now. Artifacts uh, shattered across the room. <laughs> this is actually... <laughs> Bear John and the China Chop metaphor is born that day. A bear John of the China Chop. This is uh, one of the ones that Mock and Baron and Drusen worked together once Drusen learned the power to uh, call up walls of stone. So it's one of the ones mm. in the East Coast where they put in carvings of the, the doings of the facets of fate and use magic mouth and such. So it is. One that shows the journeys of the facets of fate themselves through carvings and statues and, uh, and decorations and such. It's a beautiful structure and you know so so dwarven and, and mock. Mock has to admire just how much uh, you know has the the reliquary how far the reliquary has come from those early days of tents and you know hired hands and a. He regards the, the, the rare items there and sees customers bustle in and out and looks out the front door, seeing far in the distance a large mountain looming, somewhat depleted with this faint green light coming from within. And then he feels a tap on the shoulder and turns, and there is his cousin, Drusen Green. And he says, he says, Drusen, it's so wonderful to see you, cousin, but... Why do you do it? Oh, all this with the reliquary, all this knowledge. I know you had a tough childhood, and it's been many years. But you ought to know. Or you you know more than most that I fight for myself first. And then the dwarves, we fight for our families. And then beyond that, we'll also fight for the dwarves as a people. But more than the dwarves, <laughs> rarely crosses our mind, the larger world. Yet you're so bent on knowledge for all, knowledge for everyone. Why do you work so hard for everyone? Why? Cousin, it's simple. When I was exiled from Guntelgrim, I was no longer a dwarf. Oh, I was a dwarf in beard and blood. What is a dwarf without a clan, without a family? I had to find a new one. And when I explored the world and the ruins beneath it, I discovered there's a lot of adricks in the world. A lot of people who will sacrifice everything for power. And hold on to all that power to themselves? Well, decided my new clan would be everyone else. Everyone who, who helps others just because they can. Adric would never do such a thing. 
if it didn't benefit him. To, to wander about and help others however we could. And makes a new family wherever you go. So this, and he points to the reliquary, so this is how I help. Free for everyone. Anyone can gain this knowledge. I don't hold on to it myself, because, well, well the world's just full of too many Odricks. I guess... I guess I'd rather have a family of... those who I nay like him. He nods, and the vision swirls again as he sees the mountain in the distance. Earth rumbling. Rocks pouring down. Dust. The, the size of the mountain seems diminished, and the green light grows stronger. And he says, There'll not be another Adric. That I, that I promise you, Drustin. Hmm. I ought to share more. And with more people. Hmm. Look at my best friends here. What are they of dwarves? Hmm. He lowers his head as the vision swirls, and he finds himself back at his forge, the hammer already in his hand, eager to lay that first blow on a precious forge new item. His skin covered in goosebumps, ready to land that. But before he drops his hammer, he says, Where's the music? And you just hear from within, from within outside, you hear in loud tones as the birds fly from their roosts. Where's Grumbar? As he calls for Grumbar to come and beat him a rhythm to work this. The door flies open with at the at, from the force of a of a turtle paw foot. Paw foot hand. Bust open. Claw. And then there's a scraping sound as the massive turtle shell that you had seen earlier is pushed in as it is not something that he can simply lift as it scrapes along the ground with each shove as he scrapes it, as he pushes it into the, uh, into the <clears throat> blacksmith shop here. And real quick, the door. Okay. So that is the, okay. The door is right there. Okay. <clears throat> and Grumbar pushes it a bit. And then he looks over and sees the forge. He sees mock working. And he looks around and he says, Oh, I already have a stage. As he's on the wood, on the wood bit here, looking down at the workshop area. And then, <clears throat> says, okay, this is going to take a while. And it's going to be exhausting. He tears off his tunic, his shirt, just the top half. It's not going full scrim here. Tears off. You see, Rippling muscles. Muscles not built from hard labor, not from combat. Are these are the arms of a drummer. <laughs> and then, seeing him solemnly take a moment as he, you can see, sometimes you don't always get a chance to see him like getting in the zone, like facing away from the audience or something like that. But now you see him. And, and looking around, he takes a scrap of cloth and he rolls it into a thin band and he pulls it over his eyes and then he lifts it up and says I'd have to poke two holes in that to see out of it I just need this to catch the sweat and then lifts up 
this massive branch that he had whittled down. And then right before he brings it down, says, Dagger, you may want to take some of those tools off that shelf there. And then brings it down with a massive force that is not just so much loud, but it is such a low, rumbling, deep, shaking sound that the windows clatter, the tools on the, on the, on the workbenches rattle a little bit, and, and he, and he Grumbar, Grumbar hears it, finish resonating, and then nods, and then brings it down again in a perfect cadence with just enough, just enough space for a boom, leaving enough space for a tink, and then a boom, and then tink, and he gets that, gets that rhythm going for the hard labor that he knows needs, needs, needs the driving force up at the head of a ship as if a hundred men are rowing oars, but when it is in fact just one dwarf. Mock misses that first downward strike, but that's all he needs to calibrate. And with that second downward thunderous blow on the turtle shell, the first hammer fall drops on the crown of Waterdeep. And the, and, and, the, and the crafting has begun. And, and continues, and continues. For this is where the shaping of the crown will take place and will not take place with a few hammer strikes. But this is probably where we might see a roll and see how that goes. It is a long time that is required for such a delicate piece. <clears throat> Obviously, this is a performance check. And that's it. It's just a performance okay. skill check. I'll do that. Uh, I will roll the one die if Mr. Mauk can supply the other. On your mark. Oh. Ooh, that's a natural one on Grumbar. And a natural 20 for Mauk! I got you, boy. I got you. <laughs> We're going light speed. We we're going warp time here. We're going to I cannot hold them together, Gavin. Little maneuvers got cost us fifty years. She's still the bath. Rice. Okay. Nice. So, stellar. Jesus Christ. That's a total of a thirty-three. If I'm doing my Jesus. math right, no, a thirty-two. Math is unimportant. Anymore. Math no longer exists in this world. Math is I believe no you longer. Called the Mobius strip. If you is, want to do the math correctly, it's a, a thirty-two, a thirty dose. I mean, I was gonna split hairs about if I could give mock inspiration to on his die kind of thing. Glad I didn't try to. Uh, the, is there any please. turtle rock in this? They're... Yeah, like I, I need more words from Dan based on this. I need more, because mm. Turtle Rock was also, I think, a natural twenty, something crazy too. Mm-hmm. Grumbar sees the progress that Mock is making, and he knows, uh, and he's and he's seen Mock work before, and he knows the intricacy of this, and he sees that every time he pounds down. <sighs> With the with this this club that he's carved, 
it issues one one hit from from mock over there perfectly timed but grumbar also knows that this rhythm is locked in for the next hour at least with that arm so with his spare turtle paw he reaches over and grabs Hammering. a blacksmith's hammer <laughs> and works it in works it in when he sees mock he 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 <clears throat> as he's doing this he calls out hey mock and then waves waves the hammer and and uh Oh, what's it? Uh, the, what's the whiplash? The 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 cue me in the um. <laughs> I forget what the phrase is. Music thing. N- not my count, tempo. Count me in. Count me in. Yeah, it's and he does that and he's and he's like nodding yeah. and then he. Tink, 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 picking up the pace just enough, just yeah. enough that this same task at the same level of quality will happen before sundown. As, as 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 Grumbar seemingly risks it all by pressing the pace, in fact, it energizes Mach. And just like a bicycle will ride better as it gains speed, it gains stability with velocity. Somehow in this instance, like the combination of the drummer and the 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 fat the, the, the blacksmith, the smith, just kind of have that sync where speed means stability and the precision is just immaculate. And in a short, but I will say, as the as the crafting continues, that rhythm puts Mach in a trance and the world fades one more time. And he finds himself in the high moor, standing in front of a familiar barrow that in one time was full of abominable aberrant yuan tea mock takes a step back kind of like surprised to be once again on on what was such a violent setting but then turns his head to find his companion scrimcorn standing beside him and he immediately relaxes for the master of the swamps is with him and there's no need more to fear and he, he smiles to see Scrim again after some weeks of difference. And he says, ha, here we are again, Scrim. Back at our old tricks. You wallowing in swamps and me chasing my wealth once again. Behind Scrim in the distance, looking over his shoulder, towers a mighty mountain that fills the horizon. But this mountain is somewhat diminished and there is green light seeping from within. Regarding it for a moment and turning back to Scrim, he says, Against my will, you fucking asshole, you've dragged so many coppers from my purse. Here in this place, though, I must ask you, really, what is the meaning behind keeping it Scrim? Why not? You tell me here and now, why I shouldn't chase this wealth for the rest of my days. Scrim. Oh my god. Scrim. 
looks at you. He looks at the mountain range. And then his eyes scan the horizon here at the high moor. And you've seen that look when he's trying to recognize the shape of the land. And he glances back at the mountain range that has some light uh, glowing out of it a little bit. And he says, Mark, are you having a vision? (laughs) Almost like waking up to him, he says, You know better than I. (laughs) I've... I've not been on this side of it, I confess. Just, <clears throat> anyhow, just, <clears throat> you know that I spent <clears throat> I spent as a full-time job making people regret getting confused between what they need and what they want. And even if I don't serve the same masters, those who make that same mistake deserve all that comes to them, whether or not it's me that brings it. I don't know your business. I don't know the business of your younger years, but from what I've heard, you got a little confused between what you needed and what you wanted. And now, whether it's some kind of business license that the dwarven people hold over you, or a shop, or Hawk's Regalia specifically, no matter what it is, I think You're having a better understanding now between what you need and what you want. You don't have to live a wretched life like I do. But don't get those two confused again. Would be my only advice. Mock nods regarding his, his, his scrimmy friend. In many ways, Mock's counterpoint. He stands forward and holds his breath, as is appropriate in these, but then gives Scrim the hug. Scrim returns his embrace. And things, the the vision begins to fade, and Mock says, Greed. Perhaps just a fancy word for taking what you want over what you need. I have to focus a bit more on what I need, leaving behind those wants to others with more frivolous time and pursuits. And as the thing, as the vision fades further, the mountain crumbles, and you see at its peak a spire of gleaming emerald emerge at the top, as the as the as the mountain itself diminishes further down, the slopes lower and flatten a, a peak of emerald peaking from the top as the vision ends. And Mach is standing there, alone. Not knowing how long he's been alone. But in his hands is a beautiful, glorious 
pristine crown, molded, formed of uh, a unique alloy on the world. But this crown lies entirely unfinished. It is as if he had constructed the perfect foundation of a house. Of course, the building is not nearly ready to be lived in, not even close. One must build the structure and fill it with all of the design and love and artisanship that mock values more highly than any other portion of the process. <clears throat> At this point, he turns to Essen, Barvik, those who have accompanied him throughout this whole process, who have helped him shape the gems that required so much expertise and mastery. But he, there they are with perfect sky opals and storm onyxes. And he simply asks them to leave and to send in Belva if they can <laughs> find her. Uh, she's, she's outside with the keg. <laughs> Is she just outside the workshop, like waiting? <laughs> she's just kicking back, watching the, watching the sky. With the keg. I mean, a nice day outdoors with a whole lot of beer and a comfy chair. Oh, I love it. That's a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful life. I love it. She didn't get the keg to like put on the ship to be like, oh, everyone's going to appreciate this on our next leg of our journey. She like got it to put on her porch and just drink from. Yeah, she's like, I mean, she's not, me she's not hoarding it, but yeah, it's but there. He's going to make me wait. I'm going to wait on my own terms, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Got to be comfortable. So she's quick to come in. She, yeah. She holds out a she holds out a second pint of ale, and kind of like plops it down on the table and leans in and looks at this crown and it's like, oh, not bad. He says, "I agree, it's not bad." He cheers her and takes a swig and he he gestures for her to take a seat in the chair, and. The forge you see has gone cold. There is you know, very little heat left in it. Um, the room has been mostly cleared. All there is is you know two chairs and a stool that's sitting kind of apart from them. Uh, and he says, uh, after a few swigs of ale, as they get comfortable, he says, Belva, I've told... The, I told you some about my plans for this crown. And I understand that it it may, if my hopes are realized, be a symbol to Water Davians and, and to Water Deep and their government. But he looks back to him and says, But the truth is, you don't simply make a crown. You make a crown for someone. And I think I've made this crown for you. She she looks at him and snorts and is like, oh, go on. He says, uh, you see it there standing in its for current form, unfinished, undecorated, gems on set. When you make something beautiful, you make it for someone, and the subject influences the the outcome, the art, as much as the art might influence the wearer. So I I I, I I need someone to bear this crown and to help me complete this. And I'd like that to be you, if you're willing. 
I could be. If I understood why on earth you'd pick me. I'm not exactly... Royal-like. She kind of looks down at herself and looks back at the crown, like, suspiciously. He says, uh, <laughs> these days I, I'm less concerned with the reasons why, but I'll say this, that you're a beautiful dwarf. She nods. And you're, and you're a great, you're a great warrior. And you are placed in my path for a reason. The the, the rest I may not know, but I, f I feel I feel that this is for you. Hmm. And if I'm being honest, you do remind me a smidge of another friend I have, and I may be making this crown for her if she were here. Well, far be it for me to get in the way of your many endeavors. And she says, what do you want me to do? He says, uh, I wish I had more to offer you in this front. You'd probably be best off talking to Grumbar or some other great orator. But what I need from you is be yourself. I need to see you in your own as best I can, for I, I intend to etch your essence, your personality in every inch of this crown in as beautiful form as I can muster with the best of materials that I have to offer. Just All offer right, yourself. then. Offer yourself, and he gestures to the stool where she may stand and bear this crown and begin the work. She's she gonna wear the crown. She's gonna wear the crown. I All mean, right. This is like a top model pit up session, something that's gonna go on in a certain type of way. Okay. All right. <laughs> First, she gets her bag out, and this this bag has a bunch of different like tools in it like a lot of different like thieves tools and grifter coins and things like that and she kind of lays them all out on the ground in front of her and she's like these are the tools of my trade and then she gets out her huge um like crossbow that she has and she says this too is a tool of my trade and then she says, but there is one more thing. And she says, for this, you will have to trust me. And she looks at him like, he's gotta, he's gotta confirm this. Yeah, he, 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 he holds his hands out to her like, please take the lead here. <laughs> and she gets out a spool of wire and it's 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 a pretty hefty wire. It's like mm, not quite as thick as like a like rope, but close to that. Don't get ideas. And she attaches it to like a metal fastening at the fire. And she says, 
This will take a moment. And she takes the wire and she feeds it out the window. And she climbs out the window as well. And she looks outside and says, you can watch this too if you want. And then she climbs up onto the roof. And up on the roof, she's been staring at the sky and she says, I have a feeling this might help a bit. And she fastens this wire to the weather vane at the top of the roof. And she she licks her finger and she goes, just give it a minute. And she's waiting for the wind to change to bring this storm in that she's been seeing percolating on the horizon. And she's, if you'll allow it, using survival to predict the weather. I uh, will absolutely allow that. And that's what she'd like to do for her check. Give me a survival check for her, uh, for her sort of weather, weather predicting power, predictive uh, uh, power here. Okay. And then you'll need to tell us the rest of what she's uh, what she's doing. Oh, That's is that a twenty? Those are your new dice. I was gonna and roll boo. inspiration for the last roll, but I'll just let sleeping dogs lie. <laughs> Can't get better than best. I, like I love the that Mark does not. He doesn't assist on this because he doesn't know what she's doing. No, he has no <laughs> idea what she's doing. But like, she rolled a twenty-sided dice, and it literally came up Anvil. So it did. It Anvil. came up Anvil. It came up Anvil. The uh, the lightning comes in swifter than she even imagined, but she she's able to sense it well enough to to hop down. And when she lands, as her feet hit the ground, so too does the lightning hit the weather vane on that thing. The lightning explodes in sound, like the the weather vane's completely melted. The energy flows through that wire onto the fireplace. The fire explodes outward, filling the air with this crackling ozone energy. And she comes back into the back in through the door, and her her clothing is all singed. And she kind of walks slowly over to the to the stool and sit and sits down behind the now roaring fire and says, "Better light this way." Mark shakes his head and he says, "Is that a lightning rod?" <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> he. He stands just like in place for a spell, considering, and then kind of like shakes his head, remembering a few times in the past. We're like, if only I'd known. Um, But then takes her hand and and guides her to stand on the stool so that work can begin. And it is very purposely there wasn't any time specified for any of these things. Who knows how long any of these things took, but surely I can say that this is the longest amount of time that's spent on this final phases. As Mach kind of embellishes this this crown into the piece of art that it is, you know, for, for Belva suiting her and her characteristics, her demeanors, her personality, m- mounting the gems, uh, adding filigree and adornment and plating and cleaning and as many processes as might tastefully create 
the work. This is the true vision of what Mox set out to create, right? Like the foundation, the bones matter, of course, but it is the art that 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 is 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 the outcome. And when Mock places the crown in its finished form on Belva's head one last time after so many times, a vision takes him again. And he's standing on top of Kundrakar with his friend Bearjaw, staring out over the valley full of snow, full of wind, at, a, at, an, at an enormous mountain in the distance with, a, with an emerald spire. And he says, Berja, Mok seems at this point maybe somewhat expectant of these visions. He seems more comfortable and he looks at Berja and he says, Berja, it's so good to see you. I was going to make you a crown, but I'll tell you about that another time. <laughs> he says... I've got all to ask you. It's been weighing me down. He says, you've... When I met you, when I met you, you were burdened with the shame of losing those of your of your tribe. You wandered as me cousin, cousin Drustin, weighed by that shame, by that failure. <clears throat> I've never known you to fail at anything. And here <laughs> you've gone from that, that early state to being a literal demigod. I don't know why we're praying to Moradin when we got you right outside our tent most nights. But to go from the, sh the, the depths of your shame to elevate your soul, how do you overcome your shame? You can make trinkets, you can gain wealth, you can slay foes. But what I'd done, what I'd done, what put me in front of here has been with me my whole life since. It, it comes with me every step I take. How do I overcome the shame of of my betrayal to myself? And she's quiet for a long time as the snow flurries around, catching snowflakes in her hair, which is this like pristine platinum white. And she nods her head and she says, It is not a small question you ask. For me, it was a, an act after an act. Many all in concession. When, when I lost them, those, those children under my care, I knew I had to begin again to begin the task over to help people to protect them to do what i must have done before to un undo it perhaps but truly it was to forgive myself through my deeds I do not know if there is a way to truly escape shame. Unfortunately, at this point in the recording, I accidentally shut down my computer and we lost just a couple minutes of the recording. And so what follows is after I got back online with the crew.
The last thing I heard, and and probably close to the what the podcast heard, um, although I can't be sure what made it into the recording, was she was saying you can't. Um, do, I don't think that you can uh, get over that without um, forgiving yourself first. Is that what she said? Yeah, we yeah. can go. We can. We can kind of go with that. Yeah, that there was there was a number of ideas shared. Let me let me pick up right from that. Um, am I okay to just roll with yeah, it? Yeah. Go ahead. Perfect. Um, as Mock hears her and listens to the crisp, chill winds high in the mountains of Akundrakar, he looks down and says, Can I borrow that again? And she and said, And hands him the yeah, hammer of all like, souls. I was waiting for you to ask. But it doesn't look as it does. Typically, on the battlefield. It looks a little bit more maybe like one of the divine hammers that Baron summons. It is brilliant with light. And transparent. And as Mach holds it, he sees into this weapon. Which he knows, which as far as he knows, is the only soul-forged weapon he's ever encountered in his life. And he sees in the middle of that weapon an ember from Moradin's ever-burning forge. And he understands that that ember is not just an ember from the forge, but indeed a piece of Moradin's soul. And the soul that created the dwarves and is a part of all of Moradin's most precious and powerful creations. And as he holds this hammer in his hand, he turns back to regard the mountain, which as he looks at it, just crumbles and falls away, flattening out to a smooth plain where once there was a towering mountain. And what remains is just a mighty spire of emerald raising up to the heavens, as thick as the Empire State Building or whatever. There's just not large metaphors to be done in the medieval times. Because they didn't build shit that big back then. And as he regards this mighty emerald spire, he all of a sudden finds himself standing beneath it. But instead of just a hammer in his hand, the hammer of all souls, he finds himself with also the crown that he has just crafted, the crown of Waterdeep. And he says to himself, Beardja says to let it go and to keep learning from my mistakes. That sounds about right. And he takes the hammer of all souls and he just crushes the emerald with it and and just shards fly off of it in all directions. And he reaches out and grabs one that seems particularly right to him. And with all the strength he can muster, he crams it into the into the crown of Waterdeep trying to thrust a piece of his own soul into this item as the vision fades. And I think we can continue next week from that point since we're, uh, we're over time here and we'll see the next steps. Exactly what happens. Exactly what happens at the Does end. Does Mark die from the sequence? 
kills him. <laughs> it kills Mark. Ghost is in the crown. Mark is the crown. That was fun, dudes. And dudettes. Thanks, everyone. For... Fun bringing back uh, Thank West you. Coast characters. That was oh, fun. Yeah. I really liked your way of bringing the, the mocks, you know, older friends, <laughs> you know, the, 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 bring, bringing the, the other characters in. Um, while, without having it be only them. Yes. Yeah, I like how you tied it to the NPCs that people are playing right now. And uh, that, was, that was really cool. I wrong word. I don't know what you call it. side characters. Yeah, everyone, side everyone characters. Was everyone was amazing, and the, all the characters were so good. Like you had to get them in there. It was. Yeah, you guys are all so good at this. <laughs> I made the executive decision that uh, that if you're lucid dreaming and you know someone who does a lot of lucid dreaming, they're gonna know they're in a lucid dream. <laughs> I, I love it. I like that. A we lot. don't even know if it's if it's <laughs> really even like, scrimcorn. Huh? That could just be. Right. Mock's well, magical manifestation right. of Scrimcoin's personality, who would also no. say that? Like, there's no clarity I, I wanted, and it's I perfect. I specifically say that, that basically I intentionally left it completely ambiguous as to what you guys remember of the vision. It's really oh, yeah. up to each of you individually to decide whether or not you remember any of it or all of it or none of it or some of it. Mock remembers everything that happens today. That's with him. But it's really up to you how you guys want to play this. Absolutely. <laughs> All righty. I'm going to take us offline uh, right now because I got stuff to do. So thanks for watching the show, everyone. Uh, click the follow button if you're new. And we'll see you next week. We're going to play Wednesday next week again. Merry on, uh, Christmas. New Year's Merry Eve. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, Merry just about Watch Christmas. Watch out for that elf on the shelf. If you see it, throw Crush it away. Crush it. Uh, you throw, throw it in the fire. In my butt. <laughs> throw it in the fire. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we'll be back next week. All right, taking us offline. <laughs>